Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. Now, I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. Look down in pity. You killed your mother. Your servant. You left her alone to some of the liquidity be powerless to harm her. Your mother sucks cocks and hell, Terrence, you prayer. faithless slime. Come on, please. And, uh, how do you go about getting an exorcism? Welcome everyone to the Let's Talk Horror Channel podcast with your boy BP. <laughs> um, yeah, here we are. Um, it's a new year, 2022, which is fucking mental that it's here already. Like a year went and, uh, you know, decent year, wasn't it? For horror. I'm not talking about everything else. You know, more crippling depression and uh, all that shit. But hey. Life goes on, hopefully, and uh, yeah, so here we are again. I hope you all had the most amazing Christmas. I hope you all had the most amazing New Year's, whatever you did. I hope you all got some really cool horror goodies for uh, for Crimbo. I, I, I sure did. I did upload. If you're on our Instagram, you saw some of the uh, things I got. Um, I got like a really cool Child's Play Chucky doll with his mangled fucked up face um some toonie terror things loads of 4k blu-rays of the guest scream the thing um loads of good i'll spoil spoil little horror boy but <laughs> but we're here to do one thing well, no well not one thing well it's one thing i don't know basically i'm doing a podcast and you're listening to it and <laughs> this one being the start of a brand new year why not do what is one of the most important horror films of all time and i don't really just thinking horror i just mean for films in general and an integral importance to its existence that was a big word wasn't it so why wouldn't we talk about the exorcist the exorcist released on the 26th of December in 1973. I mean, let's hold off even even just on that. Like imagine having your amazing Christmas meals that they had the day before and spending time with loved ones and you're still in full swing for Christmas cheer. And then you go to the cinema and watch this. You know, obviously not only is it an absolutely genius uh, move from a promotion standpoint, but just think of the poor people back in 1973 who literally threw up their luscious Christmas meals watching this absolute classic. So after that, why wouldn't we talk about The Exorcist? So the film stars Ellen Burstyn as Chris McNeil, Jason Miller as father or doctor, whichever you prefer, Damien Carras, Linda Blair as Regan McNeil, Max Fon, I, I always get his name wrong, so I'm going to go with Sido, which is, even saying it, that's wrong, but let just deal with it. 
as Father Lancaster Merrin and Lee J. Cobb as Lieutenant William F. Kinderman. And then obviously there is many, many more cast members in this, what, well, I, what I think is an incredibly casted movie. It's directed by William Freakin and the score, well, that for this film is super complicated and we're going to get into that a little bit later. The film sits at a rating of 8 out of 10 on IMDb, which is amazing still. Normally, everything sits at a 5 and 6 because people either hate films or love them. But 8 is really good. And 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, which goes to show how highly regarded this film continues to be after all these years. And then here is, like I do now, is Google's very brief synopsis of this multi-layered and intelligently crafted masterpiece. Regan, a young girl, displays bizarre behaviour after playing with a Ouija board. Chris, her mother and an actress, consults two priests who conclude that Regan is possessed by a demonic entity. And that's, that's all you fucking get. That is literally what you get if you, if you look for Exorcist on Google, that's the synopsis you get. I mean, it's basically right, isn't it? It's, it's there. But here is the film. Here's my view of the film with a little bit more depth. So the film starts out completely tonally different to what you expect. You know, which is another strength to this unpredictable top-notch horror classic. It basically starts with an old man, Indiana Jones, and, you know, he's on an old man, Indiana Jones adventure, who is actually Father Lancaster Merrin, played by the guy that I can't pronounce his name properly from earlier, who's going around <laughs> trying to find a statue of a giant dick demon. And then he finds the big dick demon, and then, he heads, then we head to America. We are now introduced to Chris McNeil, the mother to Regan. She's an actress, and she's a bloody good one. She buggers off home after a hard day's work where we now get to see the sweetest mother-daughter relationship that really helps raise the stakes when things get all fucked up. She does in indeed find a Ouija board and unfortunately Regan is gone and bloody used it, the silly sod. And at that point, you know she's gone and fucked right up big time. But it's played on so sort of blasé that it's like, it doesn't even matter. But as we all know, of course it fucking does. So the movie continues uh, where we meet father or doctor Damien Carras, whose mother is sick and he has seen some shit in his life. I mean, you can tell he has. And he seems to lose his faith in God. And he's basically turned to the gin and juice just to get by. At home with the McNeils, things are kicking off as Regan has gone from nice kid to sassy dickhead in an instant. She also pushes some bloke out of a window, which you don't see, but we as the viewer knows she did it. She gets tests and the docs are like, I've got no idea what's going on. Maybe get an exorcism. While this is going on, some Colombo type police officer keeps going around asking everyone to go on a date with him to the cinema and every time gets shut down. What a poor fucking bloke. So, fa so Father Karras is asked to pop over and look at the devil child and he's like, nah, I don't believe you. But then he sees all the green goop is coming out of her mouth and he's like, yep, she, she's definitely possessed. You know, where's my whiskey? Oh, and as well as that, his mother has died and he blames himself big time. 
Things escalate massively from this point. Poor Regan is getting scratched and cut and thrown and having an all-round really shit time. So they get hold of an even older, at this point, Indiana Jones wannabe, Father Merrin, who's like, I'll take it from here, lads. And they start to perform the ultimate exorcism while Regan is saying some very, very rude words and continues to vomit on everyone. And they see a silhouette of the big dick demon that they saw at the start of the film. When Father Karras is having a well-earned rest, he's asked a very important question at this point by Regan's mummy. Is she going to die? And he's like, hell no. And he goes back to the back upstairs to find Father Merton, Merton or Merton, can't remember his name, deceased. Basically, he's dead. He's most probably from, from his old ticker. And then things continue from there to go mental. He grabs Regan and slaps the shit out of her and tells the demon to take him instead, which a bloody stupid demon, d- demon does. And then Father Karras has enough power to take over and jumps out the window to his death, making the ultimate sacrifice. So Regan is now saved, and that's basically the end of the film, but not until Columbo wannabe comes back to ask for one last date with another priest who gets shut down again and continues to live his miserable life alone, which is quite sad, isn't it? So that is, you know, a slightly more in-depth look at what basically happens in The Exorcist. So after all of that, why do we still talk about The Exorcist? Why is this film so highly regarded after nearly 50 years and considered one of the scariest films and best films, not just in horror, but in cinema in general of all time? So let's talk about that. The instant impact this film had on its cinema goers was a massive thing for this film. People were passing out, puking, and overall getting the shit scared out of their pants, like literally. But why and how could it have had such an effect on people? Well, that's because it was in 1973, and this film was like 20 years ahead of its time. People hadn't seen shit like this go down before. It was absolute chaos for them. So let's take a deeper look into how it achieved all this. So originally the film was to see other directors take the job, even at one point Stanley Kubrick, but they all turned it down, which is why it ended up with William Friedkin. At the time he was a documentary filmmaker, and he was also famously known to put his actors, especially Linda Blair, through absolute torture in this film to get the performances he wanted. Here's just some of the rumoured shit that he did. So he yanked Linda Blair, a child, nonetheless, violently around in a harness. Both Blair and Burstyn suffered back injuries and their painful screams were included in the film. Burstyn injured her back after landing on her coccyx when a stuntman jerked her around using a special effects cable during the scene when Regan slapped her mother. The crew member operating the cable that pulled Burst into the ground claimed a chiropractor examined her after she was injured and told her she'd be fine. After O'Malley confirmed to Freakin that he trusted the director, Freakin slapped him hard across the face. And blanks were fired without warning on set to elicit shock from Jason Miller for a take and told Miller that the pea soup would hit him in the chest rather than the face in the projectile vomiting scene, resulting in his real disgusted reaction. 
And I'm sure there is more shit on set that went down. And so what it sounds like was that everyone on on this set was a fucking sadistic arsehole. But then, in the end, look how it all turned out. Apart from the directing, most of what we see in the film that makes it, even to this day, stand out was the special effects, created by the legendary Dick Smith. I mean, just think for what he had to achieve in this film. The cuts, the scratches, the overall demonic look that gradually progresses throughout the film on Regan, the ageing of Max von... Can't, I'm not even going to bother pronouncing his name, but you know who I mean. You know, who at the at the end of the film, um, in those scenes where he's performing the exorcism, he's actually 44 at the time. But they so convincingly, you know, made him look old. It's insane. That goes to show how amazing the, the makeup effects were on this film. To the green goop everywhere. And then you have the iconic scenes like the spider walk down the stairs and the fucked up 360 head spin. It's insane to think that this... You know, they managed to do this back in the 70s and it still holds up today. It's quite clear that it was important to all involved that not only did they want to bring something you have never seen before, but they wanted to make make sure that every time something happens, to rem- it remains imprinted in your memory for the rest of time. You know, as they say, go big or go home. And go big is what they most definitely did. So like I said um, earlier, the score for this film is super complicated and is another chapter of what seems to be a film with nothing but trouble. Lalo Schifrin was originally poised to create the score for the film, but made a piece for the trailer, not even for the film, so terrifying for cinema goers that the studio just didn't want it and was told to tone it down. And with that, the score was rejected completely and rumoured to have been personally thrown in the trash by director William Friedkin. The film plays silent most of the film, and I always wondered why. But obviously, this is why they got rid of the fucking score. And the rest of the music for the film was put together using bits of old classical songs. The classic thing we all know and love, and has haunted our dreams for years and years, and actually was my first ringtone I manually inputted into my first ever mobile phone, was composed by Mike Oldfield, who apparently didn't like it. I mean, why was everyone who helped make this film, apart from the actors, they seemed to be a bunch of miserable fucks? In 1998, though, an edition was released that had three of Lalo Schifrin's original score, included, um, including the one that was used in the original trailer. Ultimately, after all the shit that went down, the film actually got completed and released and was mostly a critical success, with some calling it the scariest film ever made. But commercially, it was a big fucking deal, making real bank from cinema goers. And some even watching it went and queued up again straight afterwards, presumably with sick and shit all over them. With this film... Um, to this day grossing over 400 million and continues to strive and continues to be the classic it was set out to be. So here is some juicy facts about The Exorcist. The Exorcist was the first horror film to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar. Number two, Marlon Brando was the studio's first choice for Father Merrin. Three, 
many of the Exorcist's cast and crew members believed the set was cursed. Now I want to stop there, I want to talk a little bit more about that fact. So there was a number of eerie incidents uh, that happened on the New York City set, uh, which included a studio fire that forced the team to rebuild the sets of the house interiors. Blatty and Freakin regularly brought in a priest, Father King, who blessed the cast, crew and set. And by the end of the film's production, nine people associated with its making had passed away, which is insane. There was so much that went on um, behind the scenes of this film. No wonder that they thought that production was cursed. Number four, when The Exorcist was released, it was making so many people physically sick that they started handing out what they called bath bags with every ticket. Number five, Linda Blair's mother brought her to audition for the film without even having an appointment. Six, the pea soup scene only took one take thanks to Jason Miller's genuine disgust at being covered in fake green vomit. And number seven, although it's not mentioned in the film, the demon is actually named Pazuzu. So there's your juicy facts. I hope you enjoyed those. Um, I like to do them all the time because sometimes I learn shit that I don't know. Most of it I do, probably, maybe. But so, I mean, really, after all of that, how do I personally feel about The Exorcist? So for me personally, I think that it's one of the greatest films of all time. And not just in horror, but for what it did for the horror genre is integral to its history. But here's some of the detail into why I love this film and why it is so fucking good. So one of the reasons I love this film is because from the get-go you are fully engrossed. But then not only that, the start of the film is completely unlike the rest of it. Not at any point from the way it starts do you think it's going to go where it goes. This film is literally a film that does what it wants and you're just along for the most demonic ride of all time. One of the other things that is integral to this film and such a massively brave choice is that is that from the start there's pretty much no music in the film apart from the odd bit. And the reason is obviously like I said earlier. But in films in general one of the biggest things to sell a scene is the score. And if you take that away the impact of the scene just isn't there. But somehow the exorcist just doesn't need it. It just continues and continues after scene after scene, leaving you speechless without any score driving a scene or a moment, which to me is absolutely astounding that it manages to do that. And I think a lot of that is what William Friedkin, the director of the film, brings to the table. As I mentioned earlier on, but before The Exorcist, he was a documentary director, which is why the film looks and feels so different to so many of the other films that were around back in the 70s. But not just for back then, the film still looks incredible now. You know, I watched it when I was doing the, you know, the, the looking, looking into doing more things for this podcast about The Exorcist movie. And I, I just sat there and I was just in awe of how unique this film looked you know the way he has directed this film really enhances the story of it but also the characters as well because he doesn't hide anything away 
you know, we have so many massive wide angle shots where you're being shown something that's going on in the background or whether it's a whole, you know, sort of wide angle shot of the two main characters talking or whether it's a shot where it's trying to show you everything that is happening to Regan. It, it looks incredible, this film. The pace of the film feels constant the whole way through, even to the end of the film. And rather than tension building and building, it just has these constant impactful scenes that are burned into your eyeballs and brain for all of existence. You know, he wanted to make sure that the pace of the film was slow enough for those moments where you see something like Regan's spider walk down the stairs or a head spin around like an owl or the whole crucifix scene, which, I mean, you all know fucking that one and how difficult it could be to watch. But the pace of the film really helps sell the impact of those scenes, which is why it's mad to think that they didn't want William Friedkin to direct this movie at all. In fact, William Peter Blatty, the author of the book, pushed for him to be the director of this movie. And thank God it happened because it is so shot for shot, unlike so many films that we saw back then and continue to see now. It really is a masterclass of fully understanding your vision and your own talents and how to achieve what you are set out to achieve. And I, for one, every time I watch this film, I'm genuinely blown away with what visually was achieved. And then when you talk about the visuals, obviously you can't but then think about the special effects in this movie that were way ahead of its time. You know, it's one of the reasons why Dick Smith, like I mentioned earlier, is a legend he is. Even though he had worked for years doing so many different things, but this film is a combination of everything. The practical, the physical, the makeup looks so real and gross. And to this day, every time I see so many of these scenes, it just reminds me of sort of when I was a kid and watched this film for the first time and thinking, like, what the fuck just happened? And genuinely thinking that so much of it was real. And then growing up and having nothing but admiration and utter respect for what they managed to achieve in this film you know it's insane still to think that this film was made in the early part of the 70s one of the other things that is crucial to this film is the performances and all of them are great and perfectly casted but this film is sold by linda blair's incredible performance i mean she was i mean i i believe for you know what i read she, she was 14 years old when she made this film and it's genuinely mental you know, some of the bits that they got her to do for this film and the things that they got her to say. And unfortunately, all the pain that she had to go through. And as far as I know, she still has to deal with a lot of the injuries and pain that she had on set. But overall, it's one of the most important performances of all time. Because at the start of the film, she sells that sort of typical kid who has a great relationship with her mother. But then as the film progresses, you feel her pain through those nasty scenes. And then you are convinced by the end that she is genuinely possessed, you know, and how she had to play this demon with a completely different voice put over hers and still show the emotion of what's going on. It is a genuinely real testament to Linda Blair's talent. So overall, and as usual, you know, I hope that you can tell that I love this film. And as usual, these podcasts are for me an expression of my love. For these movies that I talk about. And 
The Exorcist is 100% part of that. It was a film that I watched at a young age, and as usual, definitely too young. And it has stuck with me throughout all my life. And we will continue, you know, this film will continue to do so for the rest of my life. Because it is so fucking good and mesmerising and perfectly constructed. I just wish I could have been one of those people in 1973 going to see this film on Boxing Day. Seeing everybody with their bath bags puking up and just having the best experience or the worst, you know, that some people might think. Watching something that you've never seen before. And in so many ways, it's a film that we will probably never see again. The Exorcist is a monumental classic and one of the most important films in horror history. And this film will live on forever. So there you have it. Basically, that is quite a bit about The Exorcist. You get about the film you get some facts uh, and you get what I think about it so I hope you enjoyed that I hope you are like me think that The Exorcist is integral to the history of horror as much as the you know the universal monster movies and so many other films obviously in the 70s as well that came out um, that have created um, the world of horror that we know and the franchises that have come of it um, The Exorcist is a huge part of that journey well the journey of, of horror in films and an integral one so I hope that you enjoyed that little sort of look into it and I hope you uh, love this film as much as I do and, and through some of the conversations that I've had um, with people um over the over my many years on this earth and uh as of recent when i've been talking about doing this uh this episode i can tell that you all have a, a deep love for this film also so now we move on to a review so i wasn't i wasn't going to do this review and this is me being completely honest the reason I didn't want to do this review is because I've already spoken to people who think completely the opposite of how I do about this film. And I there will always be films that you have alternate opinions on. Um, and I have a completely alternate opinion on this film, not from everyone. Um, because I have spoken to a lot of people as well who feel the same way as I do. Um, but as I said, I want to be honest in these podcasts and I want to give you a, you know, what I think. You know, I, I talk about how I feel about the films that we uh, we are using as the subjects or whether it's, you know, we're talking about the special effects or John Carpenter like we've done on the um the previous podcast, you know, everything I do, I try and be really honest with you all. So I wasn't going to do this podcast, uh, this ep um, this review on the podcast, because um, I don't want to have people just think that I really hate a film, basically, that they absolutely fucking love. And then, to be honest, people don't listen to the podcast anymore. And I don't want that. But then at the same time, I've got to be true to myself. So I am going to review Malignant. Review 
So, Malignant, here we go. How did I feel about this film? Well, I thought... I thought it was shit. I've said it now, and once it's uploaded, then that's it. Uh, yeah, I... I hated it. And don't get me wrong, I didn't want to hate it, because, I mean, it's James Wan, and I don't like necessarily what he's done with his career outside of horror like making fast and furious but he's done gone down that sort of slightly different route to someone than than his ex sort of writing partner lee wannell i'll speak a little bit more about that later but um yeah you know he's a big time hollywood director now isn't he and you know and he made i can't remember what was the the undersea bloke well aquaman that's it undersea man um yeah so i watched this and so basically I was trying to watch as many films as I could, you know, to try and catch up um, because I have and I will talk about my top five horrors of 2021, the year just gone. And I was trying to get through them and Malignant was one that I wanted to see anyway because, I mean, the poster is amazing, amazing for it. Like it's proper old school horror and it's, you know, that got that old school sort of impact that you you know you sort of see it and you go that's a cool poster you know i want to watch it and then obviously we've been james one as well so i I, there was no reason as to why i wouldn't want to see this film and i was looking forward to it and then i watched it and and i was so angry like anybody knows me i'm like you know i'm 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 a little angry man anyway but Sometimes when I watch films, the stupidity level of them drives me insane. And that's what happens in this film. And I felt like I wanted to turn it off. And very rarely do I do that in films. Most of the time I will just sort of go through it. Like I even did that with, there was that really, really, really shit film that had wrestler in it. I can't remember, CM Punk, that's the one. And I can't even remember the name of the film. Um, I think it's like The Girl on the Third Floor, which could have been actually a completely different film, and I could be wrong. But if you know the film, I mean, that film sort of reminded me of this, where I sort of like saw the trailer, I was like, that looks all right. And then I watched it, and I was like, fucking hell, that's shit. Um, and unfortunately, that is what happened with Malignant. It It felt like it didn't know what it wanted to be, or that it did know what it wanted to be and didn't know how to achieve it because it was trying to merge, you know, too many things together. So, like, it had that sort of... where it was trying to be an old sort of giallo, sort of 70s sort of old-school horror. Um, but then it ended up feeling... And I think that's what they went for more, but then it ended up feeling like an old sort of, like, 2000 sort of thing where, you know, like, Saw or um, James Wan's other film, Dead Silence, felt more like them. Um, It was like a bit more of a throwback to them, or like films like Darkness Falls, The Boogeyman, you know, you had a lot of those sort of supernatural sort of horrors of the 2000s, and it felt more like that than it was what I think it was trying to do. Um, And it didn't work. And then, oh man, it's just, just... it it just it it just makes me laugh because it was just I've genuinely thought I was watching a joke and at the end of it something was gonna be like we fucking had you you know like 
obviously, if you haven't seen the film, then maybe skip this part. But obviously, I'm going to give you some sort of spoilers. But, you know, she gets... She has this basically, like, parasite that's almost like a, a, con- a conjoined twin sort of thing on her back. And it's all, like, goblin-esque. And it's like... Like that. Like, you know, all manky-looking. And it gets awoken because of... Which isn't a laughing matter, which is disgusting. Obviously, domestic abuse. And it's a horrible thing for anyone to 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 live with. And, and they still put it in films as a reason for things happening, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but, yeah, yeah, you know, that happens. And, and uh, you know, the guy you know, smashes her head against the wall and that awakens um, suppressed um, what you think is a, uh, what they call it, um, an invisible friend. I think that's what we call it anyway. Um, and it turns out that it's not one of those at all. Um, it's just some goblin thing stuck to the back of her head um, that ends up creeping out and... Um, Essentially, it's keeping her locked in like a mind prison, and uh, like even now I'm talking about it and I'm lost and I'm like fucking hell. But yeah, this is a weird, weird film that I can't take seriously. And then it, it but it gets worse when you start seeing this fucking thing on the back of her and her head's wobbling about, and then you have, and then the things like walking like backwards because. Um, essentially obviously that's now in control of her and and there it's walking backwards and the whole time you're like it's like it's just so weird <laughs> but it was too weird for me and uh you know and then there's there's this it's james Wan, so he's a very and like i said i'll speak about it in a minute but he's a very visual director so um yeah you know you're gonna get some decent shots and obviously with him getting a bit more of a budget now um to do these things and you're going to get bigger set pieces and stuff and you know you've got a really cool sort of over the top shot going through the house um which is really nice really well done um but one of the other scenes that i absolutely hated which seems to be a, a scene that everybody loves is um the scene in the prison bit where basically this goblin thing Take, I keep on saying goblin, but it's not. It's like the you know conjoined sort of parasite person thing that's part of of her. Um, you know, uh, basically takes the wheel. You know, and it's basically murders everyone in this police station. And not only do I not like this scene, which I should like because it's pretty cool. You know, and there's loads of really good shots, and visually it's good and stuff. But what I hate about it is that. Oh, and they do this in like every Hollywood movie now that has action scenes. Everyone knows how to fight. Like there's no like proper like slugfests anymore where like someone's getting punched and knocked out and that's it, it's done. Or, you know, everything is so stylistic. And I'm thinking to myself, at what point did this thing that's on the back of her head learn nin- like ninjutsu? Like w- at what point was it? did it become a ninja? And he's literally taking out all of these police officers and all of these like women in the prison cells you know with ease you know flipping and shit and doing all this crazy like it's like the raid but like with a goblin on her head like it just i don't get it 
And I think maybe I'm just thinking too much into it, but I hate it. And Hollywood needs to stop this. It needs to be made, stop assuming that everyone in their movies know how to fight. You know, it, it's, it's mad. But the film goes on and I sort of was, I, I was just waiting for it to end in the way, in the end. Um, so, yeah. So uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry that I didn't like it, everyone. Um and I hope you understand. But it's a shame because, and I said I would talk about it, but I'm, so I really, really like Lee Wannell. Um, I think he did a great job with Invisible Man and bringing that into the modern day um, way. You know, his storytelling is insanely brilliant. Um, and obviously, I, I really liked Upgrade. I think, you know, there's a few problems, but as a story, as an idea, I think it's great. Um, but I think he's more of a well-rounded director. Obviously, um, Insidious as well, he wrote, and he was in as well. Um, I think those two as a writing, writing team work so well together. Um, for me, I think James Wan is just a visual director um and that's why that as a team they work so well like obviously the absolute classic that is saw you know visually looks great but as well as that the story is incredible the writing's incredible um and i think that's where they work best on their own for me personally lee wannell um is is definitely achieving better work because his story work his character work is great and then he still has you know the visuals that are there but his visuals are there for like a reason they're not like we're gonna do this shot because of this and and that you know like and because it's gonna look cool so to speak you know his his visual um style is very much this is part of the film and and that's it and also he he's absolutely fucking brilliant if you've never seen it he's uh lee wannell i'm going off on like a lee wannell tangent now sorry um but um i'm not sorry um but he did a really, really amazing sort of um, played a great character in a film called Cootie starring Elijah Wood and Rain Wilson's in it as well. But that's a really, really good horror comedy. And he's by far the best character in it. If you haven't seen it, go and see it. But he is so darkly comedic in that. And he's, his comedic timing is so good that it takes away all of his bad acting that he did in Saw um, and makes it right again. But in regards to this film... Yeah, didn't like it. I'm really sorry. Please still listen to the podcast. And um, I hope... I mean, look, these horror films aren't for everyone. And I think as well, and a lot of the people I've spoken to about this film, um, about Malignant, is a lot, of, a lot of it was people that have quite recently come into horror or people who really started enjoying the films from the 2000s. I think it is sort of... It's not the same for everyone, but it might be, you know, where people have started enjoying horror, like their first experiences of horror, what they grew up on. If they grow up on things like Saw and, um, you know, and in the 2000s watching horrors, um, then I can see that. But it was so weird and it was so fucking crazy. I'm sorry. So, yeah, um, Malignant is a no from me and remember one i did want to like it i just couldn't and two whenever we watch these films 
our opinions are our opinions and we are allowed to have those opinions and I am sure that for you listening there may be films that you love that I absolutely despise and I am sure people who are listening to this probably absolutely love Malignant but I don't and I'm really sorry. So there's my review of Malignant. Went on for ages, really, didn't it? And I hope that you're still listening um, because I'm going to be doing my top five for 2021. So that's good. Um, And I'm sorry and not sorry for my review of Malignant. But if you are still listening, thanks, because I really appreciate it and hope that you continue to listen and still listen to the other podcast because um, if you like me, then I'm really sorry. And uh, if you don't, now I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you there. But anyway, so for 2021, here is my top five um, horrors. It, they're not in any order as well. They're just in my, you know, favourite five of the year. Um, Candyman, the new Candyman, that was one of them. You know, although it's not a touch of the on the original um, you know, masterpiece. It does its best to sort of expand the mythology of Candyman um, that does leave it open for more. Um, the film looks great. Um, I like how they essentially do the reverse opening of the original film where the original has the overtop um, sort of uh, drone shot of, uh, although it's not drones, but you know what I mean, helicopter shot of uh, the city. And uh, in this this new one, we have the reverse where we were looking up through the sea. So I thought that was a really sort of cool um, play on and, you know, like a homage from the original. But, um, you know, yeah, it looks great. And, you know, there's a lot of blood sort of and really good sort of kills to keep horror fans happy. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, um, they, they could, I think they could have done a lot more. Um, I don't, you know... Candyman was one of the earliest sort of horrors I remember watching um, and will always be important. But I think as a film, the impact of that, of it, um, of the casting, you know, Tony Todd, um, the the visual style of the film, it's it's a masterpiece, Candyman. So when you get a film that good, yeah, it's going to be difficult to live up to. So I think they did a good job, which is why it made it on to my list. Um, The other film that made it on the list was army of the dead which even to me was a surprise because anyone who knows me knows of my hatred for Zack snyder movies um you know his dawn of the dead was good and you know some bits of the watchman um was all right basically the only bits i liked was with um rorschach or whatever the guy with the moving face that was quite cool the rest of it was a bit superhero like and and the and also Zack snyder you know, used to have this thing where he would put these like slow motion sex scenes in his movies for no reason whatsoever. And the Watchmen had that and it just sort of takes you out of the film completely. But yeah, so other than those films, I absolutely cannot stand any of his films they do because they are literally visual. It's it's all about visuals over substance for me. And I I, I like to have a mixture of both. Um, Whereas um, Army of the Dead... Um, 
it is basically like a proper zombie epic. You know, there's an absolute riot from the amazing intro, which is so, so cool and so shot, like, amazingly, um, you know, to the climax. You know, it keeps you there the whole way. Um, the, you know, and as I say, the film is always going to look great because it is Zack Snyder and he does do good visuals. Um, but the soundtrack is sick. And then once, once again, obviously, my man crush, Dave Batista. You know, he continues his string of absolutely fantastic performances. You know, he is so much better than The Rock. Um, I genuinely believe so, you know, The Rock's The Rock. Batista, I don't even view him as like a wrestler that he was anymore. Um, he just keeps on making, you know, really, really great choices with his films he's doing in his characters. Whether he's the main person or whether he's doing side characters, you know, and supporting roles. He's really, really fucking good. Um and he's really good in this film. And overall, this film was such good fun. Uh, and one of the others that made it onto the list was The Prisoners of the Ghostland. So Nicolas Cage, he does it again. Um, in this film that's set in the dystopian future where his balls can explode from, you know, whenever boner o'clock hits. Um, unless he finds someone who basically doesn't want to be found. He's told to go and get someone and they don't want to be found as usual. Um, and Madman Nicolas Cage is great in this. Everyone knows since my last, obviously if you listened to the last podcast, you know of my love of the resurgence of Nicolas Cage, who is finally accepting who he is and he's made some incredible movies and this one is part of it. Um, it is a really, really oddly funny film with really good action scenes and a great soundtrack again. But the biggest film for me, and the reason it made it onto this list, as well as it being Nicolas Cage being great, is that it is 2021's, for me, most visually stunning film. You know, Army of Dead, I know I spoke about how great that looks, but there's just something about Prisoners of the Ghostland that, I don't know, and also I can imagine them obviously not having a big budget and what they managed to do with it is insane because it looks like a big fucking budget film. And then two other films, obviously, out of the five. So this one is Censor. Um, and this film is what horror fans love. You know, it is really a top-notch throwback to old-school video nasties, but with a twist. You know, the performances in this film are fantastic. And the look of the film is sort of integral to tell the story. And once again, obviously, the sound is great. But what I love about this film is the ending because it really does leave the events of the movie open to discussion and I love films that do that because it means you know we horror fans get to have conversations about that um you know it, it, as I said it leaves it open to discussion and as to what drove this person psychologically to do this you know, whether the past caught up to her and through suppressed memories and, you know, things like that. It, it's basically, it, it's amazing and it deserves your view. You know, not just the ending is great, the whole film's great, visually great. Um, but it's just a good horror that is just unique and that's always a really nice thing to watch. And then when I said that obviously there isn't an order to this, so but this one is this is my number one so my number one film horror film of 2021 was psycho gorman i i i don't know how many times i've watched this film this is like my now go-to film if i want to watch something and laugh and just be amazed and just have a, an amazing time or 
if I'm doing like a podcast and I want something in the background, but then it's difficult because I end up watching it. But Psycho Gorman is an absolute treat. You know, the film is funny, like gut-wrenchingly funny. You know, it is visually brilliant in every department. The special effects in this are insane. You know, and once again, shows the talent of horror makers in all their glory. There's, you know, pretty much every scene in this has has special effects. You know, whether it's something that's happening, whether it's a costume that someone's wearing. Um, it's, it's just insane, this film, you know. And obviously the unpredictable score is amazing with the songs that are, you know, they're playing in it. And then the, the music, obviously the score in the background. Uh, and the performances are absolutely amazing. They are perfect for the movie and they are fucking... It's so fucking weird, this film as well. It's amazing. I cannot recommend um, Psycho Gorman enough. It just reminds me of those sort of old school... It's basically like an adult Power Rangers. Where, you know, and it sort of reminds you of um, things like uh, Guyver, like the manga Guyver when they did the movie. Um, and... Yeah, you know, and like almost a bit like um, the Toxic Avenger and stuff like those old school sort of trauma films as well. It's it has it's very very um, in a world of its own, um, and it's very reminiscent. So you get that sort of nostalgia factor of it as well. But on top of that, it's so you know unique and like I've said on so many other these other films in the list, but it's so unique and it's so enjoyable, and that's. I, th I feel like that's what we needed this year as well. I think Psycho Gorman is what we needed this year because it's been another tough year and we don't know what the future is, is going to hold really um, at the moment and, you know, things are going to shit again really. And um, But then this year we've got some really good films coming out um, and I'm looking forward to those as well. But yeah, so for 2021... That that was my that was my favourite five of 2021. And if you haven't seen any of them, make sure you do, especially Psycho Gorman. So there there we go. That is uh, the episode. Pretty much, we've uh, we've discussed a topic, being the Exorcist. You've got you know some some facts about it and and what it's about. And uh, you know, as usual, if you've never seen the Exorcist. Um, you need to. It is it is integral, like I say, to horror history. But not just that. It is fantastic as a movie to watch. It's it's so amazing because it it just it sticks with you for forever. You will never forget The Exorcist. No matter if you see it now or if you saw it as a kid or if you saw it as an adult in the seventies, you won't ever forget it. And that is why this film is so important. So that yeah, that was the Exorcist. Then you got my review. I'm I'm not sorry, but I am because I don't. I'm not trying to offend people if they really like. I'm never ever trying to say you if because I hate this film. You should hate it as well. No, I hope there's people out there that love this film, and I know there's people out there who love this film. But yeah, Malignant, not for me. There's that was my you know my really long review I did earlier, and then you got my top five. So there's quite a lot in this episode. Um, as I always do, I always talk about social media-wise. Um, one thing I didn't do, which I normally do and is part of the podcast, is uh, talk about your first time, which is where I get people to send me in messages. Um, 
let me know their first experience with a horror film, uh, which I really enjoyed doing. But I wanted to give everybody a bit of a break, um, really, because it was Christmas and the new year. And we had so like everyone, I had so much to do. Everybody had so much to do. So um, going from the next podcast, I will do my best to try and uh, get that going again, because I really do love the set, you know, your first time segment, because I want to know all about your first experiences with horror because I, I love it. You know, I don't, I don't, I haven't just started this podcast because I thought it'd be a laugh. And I, I, I love horror films. That's why I started this podcast. And I want to hear what you think about them. And I want to know your first experiences because um, there's, it's just so much fun. But other than that, social media wise, um, yeah, it's just it is it is ongoing. Um, I am posting as usual daily on our Instagram which is the Let's Talk Horror channel at Instagram. Just search for us on there and please make sure you follow us. But yeah, it is just daily updates of the world of horror um, content that I think you'd really enjoy as horror fans and any updates about what's going on with the Let's uh, Talk Horror channel, whether it's, um, you know, the podcast or, or anything else. And anything else could be the Let's Talk Horror channel YouTube um, channel that we've got that we that is also ongoing and i will be up late uploading very soon once on the friday coming um a very special occasion happens because we have the release of the new scream movie and literally cannot wait to see this one it's amazing to have a scream film again two to get to go and see a scream film at the cinema again it's amazing but it makes it even more hyped because i've heard amazing things for the the screens that uh you know the screeners that they did for people and and i've not heard a bad thing i've just heard nothing but good things and how it's very uh nostalgic and it pays tribute as well as breathing new fresh breath you know air of life of um into the screen franchise so man i cannot wait to see it friday uh opening night i can't wait um but yeah so there will be a review spoiler heavy as usual going up on our youtube channel um as soon as i can after i've watched the movie uh and obviously on the youtube channel make sure that you go and subscribe to that as well because there's a lot of things coming in 2022 and overall 2021 was a really good year for let's talk horror um you know the longer this goes on the the more conversations i'm having with people uh, and um you know we're not done yet and 2022 is going to also be a big big year and a year that i'm looking forward to as a fan of horror in general but being able to have these conversations with you about these films is even more exciting for me um and with the podcast coming up i'm looking forward to it and uh oh actually yeah on the um instagram i gave you um my followers the choice as to what the next podcast was going to be about and i haven't done that before and it was going to be between the lost boys or the shining and you all chose the lost boys so my next podcast will all be about the lost boys and i'm hoping i'm not going to say too much but i'm hoping it will be the first time that we do something on the let's talk horror channel um and I'm not going to say much because I might fuck it all up and it might not happen. But if it does, 
Uh, I'm super looking forward to it. And um, it, it's, it's another changing part of the Let's Talk Horror because I've got some pretty cool things um, coming up for you all. So as usual, if you stay to the end, and I really hope you have, um, and I, I really I really do appreciate it if you do, but thank you so much if you have. Um, and just and just keep on you know following and keep on looking up um you know what we're doing and what's coming out next and stay tuned because as i said 2022 is going to be a big year for us and this from the next podcast all about the lost boys that you guys chose um i i think there's going to be some big changes but in a really really positive way and i'm looking forward to it immensely so thank you all so much as usual you're all amazing and as usual Stay creepy.